Howdy, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Have you heard someone say, if I want something to be done right, I have to do it myself? Want it done right, I got to do it. Sometimes bosses say that about their employees because they're like not getting it right, or parents, when your kids are doing chores, right? Teach them to do something, they don't take the garbage right, I guess I got to do it myself. We hear that phrase, maybe James Bond type figures, right? Some criminals on the loose. James Bond has to say, I got to do it myself. Self. It's typically someone who has superior abilities, superior power. They train someone, they coach them, and they delegate that responsibility, and that person falls flat on their face, and they go, I, I gotta do it myself. We've all heard that phrase. Maybe you've even thought that about someone else in your life. I wonder if God ever thinks that about you and me. I wonder if God looks at us here on earth and he's watching us. And he's seeing how we live, how we love, how we work, how we play, how we social media. I wonder if he looks at us and goes, ah, they botched it again. I'm just gonna have to do that myself. I'm just gonna grab control and if I want this Christian kingdom thing done right, I guess I'll have to do it myself. Is that what he thinks? Or does he get us? Does he understand us? Does he know us that we're broken and flawed and we fail and fall all the time? I think what the Bible teaches is, no, God doesn't think I'll do it myself. Instead, he says, if I want sinful human beings to accomplish my purposes, then I will give them myself. Not I will do it myself. No, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to give them me. I'm going to give them my Holy Spirit to live inside people like you and me, to empower you and me to do things, advance the kingdom, make a difference in this world because God's Spirit is living inside us. We're doing this sermon series called Unseen Person about the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know why I say unseen person, rewind to last Sunday and watch that. We talk about why he's a person, but the power of God has taken up residence inside the believer's heart in you and me and empowers us to do things, but we often ignore or misuse what God has entrusted to us. So that's why we're jumping into this together and if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 31. It's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible. Exodus 31 is where we're going to be. Did you buy a Bible this week? Maybe you bought your first one. Man, I'm excited for you to open up the Bible. Maybe you downloaded onto your iPad or onto your phone for the first time a Bible. I am excited for you because God's Spirit wrote these words. And to the humble heart who believes in Jesus... He's going to be your compass and your anchor as things go up and down, left and right. He uses his words from the Bible to do that. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you today, both here on campus and online, sons and daughters, people that are seeking you and people that have found you, atheists and agnostics people from different faith backgrounds and denominational backgrounds. But everyone who puts their hope and trust in Jesus will not be put to shame. And everyone who seeks you will find you if they seek you with their whole 
heart. So we come before you as a diverse group of people. You know our stories. You know our names. You know our doubts, our failures, our joys, and our sorrows. So would you, Spirit of the living God, work in us today and do what I can't do. Take the words of Scripture, bring them alive, and change us. Change me. Change my friends listening, watching. Change us to make us more like your son, Jesus, so that we might bring your kingdom to earth as it already is in heaven. We pray this in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So before we get to Exodus 31, I want to go to the board and and show you something quick. You know, we talk about Old Testament, New Testament, and times pastors don't stop and explain the difference. Some of you go, I already know the difference. Okay, just stick with me. Basics, all right, but some of you don't. But Old Testament, New Testament, the front of the Bible, the back of the Bible. What's the difference? Thanks for asking. Old Testament versus New Testament, just at the highest level, basic stuff, right? The Old Testament is made up of Genesis through Malachi. The books of the Bible, Genesis through Malachi, Old Testament. New Testament, Matthew through Revelation. It's broken into two parts. And one thing that people think about the Bible, Old and New Testament, is that there's different God. Like God is different between Old and New Testament. But that's not true. It's the same God. He's the same throughout the Bible. He's full of grace and truth, love and mercy, slow to anger, patient. Same God, full of grace and truth in both the Old and the New Testament. And one of the other things that's true about the whole Bible is that God speaks. This same God wants to speak to you and to me, to people. He loves us. He made us. He gave us the ability to choose to love him and follow him or to reject him and ignore him. He's constantly speaking. And one of the differences between Old and New Testament is how God speaks. In the Old Testament, he speaks through prophets. Women, he raises up and says, hey, go tell them to do this or that. He knows that we're rebels. He knows that we fail and fall. So he sends prophets to encourage us, prophets to teach us, prophets to guide us. In the Old Testament, we see prophets speaking on behalf of this one God. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks. He's the word of God, right? He shows up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see his life, and we hear his life, and we watch him, and he comes full of grace and truth. And so he speaks the truth, but he shows us what the truth looks like. He lives the truth. He is the truth. He shows up on planet earth and speaks. And we can look at his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can see the very heart of God in flesh. Something happens in the New Testament book of Acts. It's interesting. Jesus lives and dies and rises again. He ascends back to God the Father, and he sends his spirit. So we see this in the book. God sends his spirit to us. And one of the differences between Old and New Testament is how the spirit acts. The spirit in the Old Testament shows up in very specific ways. We'll see him do specific things, specific tasks. He'll show up and do specific assignments on behalf of God the Father and God the Son. In the New Testament, after Jesus dies and rises again, the Spirit shows up in a permanent way. I can't spell permanent. He shows up in a permanent way. Here's what I mean by that. God the Father, you're like, yeah, I can tell. You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus dies and rises again, and he sends a spirit. 
that all those who put their hope and trust in Jesus, he puts his spirit permanently inside the sons and daughters of God to indwell us, to live inside us, to fill us with power and hope and peace and joy every day. It's not a specific indwelling like he does in the Old Testament. It's a permanent indwelling. That's a little different. And we're going to see this work itself out today in Exodus chapter 31. We're going to see this up in a specific, wow, I spelled that wrong too, in a specific way. You're like, I've been trying to tell you that the whole time. In a specific way in Exodus 31. And then we're going to talk about what it looks like for you and I to permanently have the Spirit of God alive in us and what that looks like. Ready? Here we go. Exodus chapter 31. So just some context, right? Dive into a chapter of the Bible, some context to get you up to speed. In this specific moment of time, the people of Israel have just come out of 400 years of slavery. God miraculously delivers them, provides for them, and protects them. And even though God shows up in this powerful, incredible way, the children of God reject him and rebel against him. So rather than coming out of enslavement to their new home, God's like, no, you're going to have to travel through the wilderness for 40 years. And while they're traveling through the wilderness, God's like, but I'm still going to be worshipped. So I want you to build a tabernacle, a tent, a place for you to meet with me as we travel. And then his, his worker is a guy named Moses. And he says, Moses, I want you to build this beautiful and mobile tabernacle where I can worship, you can worship me and my presence will be. Then you'll take the tent down and we'll travel some more and you'll set it back up and you'll worship me again. It's like God calls Moses into his office and says, write this down. Let me tell you what you're going to do. So from Exodus chapter 26 to Exodus 30, God gives Moses detailed instructions about what he wants Moses to do. You know when your boss tells you what to do, how easy it is to feel overwhelmed? Can you imagine if your boss is God and he gives you five chapters of the Bible worth of detail and says, hey, Moses, go build this tabernacle? How overwhelmed Moses must have felt to receive this instruction from God Almighty. This is a hard day at the office for Moses. And we pick up the story in Exodus 31, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for working gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ashamach of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I've given him the ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you, the tent of the meeting, the ark of the covenant of the law, with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings, the sacred garments of Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense of the Holy Spirit. They are to make them just as I commanded you, God says. And I try to put myself in Moses' shoes for a moment and go, what? Like, you're commanding me all these very specific detailed tasks? God, we're living in the wilderness where am I going to get the skills and the tools and the materials 
to do this? How am I going to accomplish this? And then Exodus 31 happens. And we see how God interacts with you and me. I mean, this is a pattern throughout all the Bible. God never calls us to do something that he won't also empower you to do. He knows that Moses is going to be overwhelmed. He knows the detail of the tabernacle. He knows that it has to be mobile and beautiful. He knows, and he watches the fear grow inside Moses while Moses is hearing five chapters worth of details. He knows the fear and the struggle, and God says, I won't ask you to do something I won't also empower you to do. Moses, I've commanded you to do this specific thing. I've given you details, and I know it's overwhelming and hard. It seems impossible to you. But trust me, Moses, I'll give you what you need. Verse 2, see, I've chosen Bezalel. I have filled him with the Spirit of God. I've given him wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of skills. Moses, just when you thought it was impossible, just when you were feeling overwhelmed and scared and nervous, I filled someone with my spirit to come alongside and help you and accomplish what I've asked you to do. And I could almost see this guy naming Bezalel going, wait, me? I'm just an everyday carpenter. You're asking me? And he could feel overwhelmed, but God gives him a partner, verse 6, Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab to help him. I've also given ability to all skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. And this is how God works. He gives himself to people like you and me to empower us to accomplish his purposes. And for the record, I just want to meet these two guys, right? I, I can't even pronounce their names, I don't know where they're from, but there's something about these guys who the Bible says they were good at crafts. I mean, I kind of want to meet them, right? They can work with jewelry, they can sew, they can work with wood and stone and metal, and they don't make just beautiful things, but they're engineered to be functional and mobile. It's kind of like Leonardo da Vinci, Elon Musk, and Jesus with a sewing machine. I don't know. It's kind of like this really cool picture of these people that I want to meet and get to know that God uses. And there's two lessons that just jump off the page about the Spirit of God and how he works from this passage that I want to talk with you about. And here's the first one. God's Spirit gives our natural abilities supernatural power. God's Spirit gives our natural abilities, supernatural power. It's, it's not like God says to two non-skilled people, I'm going to give you supernatural abilities. I mean, he could do that. He could take some schmo and make them into an incredible worker. He, he could do that. But that's not the pattern we see in this text and in the Bible. Instead, what we see is God taking someone's natural abilities and with the spirit of God's power, making them supernatural and using them. It's not like these two guys were nurses in the ER one day and the next day they're tradesmen. It's not like they're tradesmen one day and he makes them musical rock stars the next. No, he works within the natural abilities of men and women like you and me. And the Spirit of God takes those natural abilities 
and supercharges them for God's purposes. And that's really fun to think about, and we're going to see how that impacts you and me practically in just a moment. But here's the second lesson. God's Spirit works to accomplish God's purposes, not mine. It's not that God doesn't care about my purposes, but God's purposes and my purposes, which one is higher? God's purposes are higher than my purposes. It's not that he doesn't care. Where's his spirit going to supercharge things? It's not like these two guys woke up one day and were like, you know what, I really want to be included in the Bible, in Exodus 31. I want my name to be there, and I want to be famous and I want to be rich, and I want everybody to think, wow, what great craftsmen these two individuals are. That's not what happens at all. It's not like Moses says, you know what I think I'll do today? I think I'm going to make a tabernacle for God. That's not what happens. God says, I want a tabernacle. God says, Moses, I want you to make one. God says, here's guys that are skilled already. I'm going to supercharge their skills to help you carry out an impossible task. This is how God works. He gives us his Holy Spirit to accomplish his purposes in and through us. You see, God wants to be worshipped. He deserves our worship. And he commands Moses to make this tabernacle. It's an impossible task for Moses to do by himself. He feels completely overwhelmed, and God sends people, these two guys, and a team of craftsmen to accomplish this incredible feat of building a tabernacle where the Most High God will dwell and be worshipped in a tent in the wilderness. I mean, listen, this was all God's idea. God asked Moses to do it, and God empowered it. God's Spirit worked to make a dwelling place where he would dwell and be worshipped. His Spirit did that. And God's Spirit's doing the same thing today. God's Spirit today is working among people like you and me because God wants to dwell somewhere. He wants to dwell in you. He wants to live inside you. So his Spirit as it work is working in us. And what does the Spirit do? His Spirit shows us how sinful we are how far short we fall from God. His Spirit makes it clear that Jesus wasn't a good moral teacher, but he's the Savior of the universe. His Spirit makes these things clear to us, and his Spirit helps us to say, I need you, Jesus. His Spirit helps us to confess and say, I'm sorry. His Spirit is at work in you and me right now if we're humble if we're seeking God, his spirit is at work to show us our need, to guide us, to lead us, because God is still in the business of being worshipped, and he wants to dwell in you and me. And I don't know if you've ever had an overwhelming assignment, but here's an overwhelming assignment. God wants to live in your heart. Have you seen this heart lately? This place is too dirty for God to live. How about yours? I mean, with all the doubts, all the impure motives, all the shameful actions and thoughts, the most high God wants to dwell in me? If there was ever a difficult assignment, 
It almost feels like, God, are you saying I got to clean up my act and then you'll dwell in me? Impossible. I can't do that, can you? Oh, I can try. I'll try not to cuss today. I'll try not to think lustful thoughts today. I'll try not to gossip. I'll try not to slander. I do good for about 36 hours, and then I'm cussing like a sailor again. The Most High God wants to live inside of me and make me an agent of love and grace and peace and goodness in this world. If there was ever an impossible task, more impossible than building a God, a tabernacle in the wilderness, something to make us feel overwhelmed, it should be that the God of the universe doesn't just forgive us from our sins, doesn't just give us eternal life, but actually wants to live in us and grow in us and change us from the inside out. That's an impossible task you and me cannot do. But God's spirit, oh, here's where it's good. His spirit empowers believers like you and me to live a God-honoring life. Without his help, I'm lost. It's not possible. I can't do it. Listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 2. He says, it's for the grace of God that has appeared that offers us salvation, salvation to all people. That's God's grace. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's God's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. If there was ever an assignment I can't do, and I need God's grace, I need his help to say no. I need his help to be holy. So he, he gives us his son and who dies and rises again that we might be free from sin. He calls us sons and daughters and gives us eternal life, but he wants to work in us to change us, to make us look like his son, to make us loving and kind and patient, generous and caring. But it's impossible for me to do that without his grace, without his spirit working in me where I humble myself before him and say, God, I need your spirit to change me. I don't want to love my wife. I need your spirit to change me. I'm a jerk at work. I need your help because those types of people, I can't stand to even be around them. If you're going to try without his spirit's help, you're going to fail over and over and over again. It's God's spirit that allows you and me to live a God-honoring life if you're humble enough to ask him and yield to him as he works. I mean, maybe one little basic practical thing for some of you. You know, in the Bible it says that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saved. And the first step of obedience to God is to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, one of the first things God calls us to do is to Go in front of a congregation of people and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to be baptized. And some of you go, I don't want to do that, but his spirit will empower you to do that. It's why as a church, every couple months, we have baptisms. Not because I don't feel like preaching or Brad's bored. It's because we want to obey God. And maybe your next step of obedience with the Holy Spirit's help is to say, I want to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and put on display to the watching world that I'm a follower of Jesus. 
You're going to hear more about baptism coming up. But God's Spirit isn't just to empower you and me to live a God-honoring life. His Spirit doesn't just help you and me to say no to sin and yes to God. Those who are living a God-honoring life, here's what God's Spirit wants to do. It wants to give us our natural abilities, supernatural power. God wants to work in us, not just in sort of spiritual ways. We're so quick to say this is spiritual and this is not spiritual. We're so quick to say this is what I do on Sundays, but not every day. No. God's like everything is spiritual. Everything is sacred. Everything is a part of who I am and what I've made you to be. His spirit is at work in all ways, in everything, not just spiritual and unspiritual. So you might look at it and go, well, I know, Joe, that um, God's Spirit's going to empower you and Brad to teach the Bible. And God's Spirit's going to help Michael and Jenny lead worship. And yes, you know what? God wants people to hear about him and have a Bible translated and praise him. So he works in leaders and missionaries and worship pastors and people to, to bring about things in the spiritual world to help all of us. But he wants to do more than that. There's so much more that honors God, more tasks that can be done in our world than just sort of things that are missionary, pastor, spiritual, Bible, church, prayer. He wants to work in your everyday life to guide you in your natural abilities to do supernatural things that honor him. So I have a friend in North Jersey. His name is Ed. Well, we call him Eddie because everybody is Eddie, you know? You know, like in Jersey, that's just how we roll. And he had a rough background, Ed, Eddie. Started doing drugs at an early age, and it really impacted him mentally. Came to know Christ and was freed from an addictions, and his life was changed, but had residual effects from the drugs that kind of made it difficult for him to find a job. So he gets a job cutting grass at a country club. He's great at cutting grass. One day they're doing some work at the country club. They're moving some rocks around, digging some things up, and Eddie starts stacking rocks. True story. He starts stacking rocks, and, and he finds that he's really good at stacking rocks. And lo and behold, Eddie, in one of the very expensive golf courses in North Jersey, makes these beautiful rock retaining walls. Have you ever seen walls like this? Where someone puts a pile of rocks perfectly together into something beautiful. And I watched him do it once. I was like, I, I got to see it. This pile of rocks. And watched for hours as he placed these rocks. I, I said, Eddie, how do you do it? And he said, well, God made the rocks. And my boss wants walls. So I asked God. And he shows me where to put each rock. And I know that may sound simplistic. But if you met my friend Eddie, you'd know, oh, that's not simplistic. This is art and beauty and engineering. And he has some of the most beautiful walls in North Jersey that the Spirit of God has empowered him to make. And you know, these walls are no more spiritual than what I'm doing right now. Walls and rocks and prayer and Bible and diapers and teaching. All of it before a holy God is spiritual and beautiful and what we're to invite his spirit into to help us to bring honor and glory 
to God. So my landscaper friends, Tim and Dave and Andrew and Stephen, they take their humble skills and they make this world beautiful. And that brings honor and glory to God. And that's sacred and wonderful and practical. My friends in the medical world, Robin and John and Christina and Scott, Katie and Dan, they take their natural medical abilities and they come alongside people and they love them. And God takes his spirit and makes supernatural things happen, not because they're such good doctors or such good nurses, because they're yielding their lives to God's spirit. My friend Yvonne, who's a professor and author. My friend Ben, who's a major in the army. My friend Blake, who's a chef, or Alex, who's a plumber, or Pedro, who's a repairman. My friend Becca, who's a mom and a foster mom. God's Spirit takes these everyday people when they're humble and yielded to God and uses their lives to bring God honor and glory in a supernatural way. You see, on our own, we cannot please God. It's the spirit that helps us to say no to temptation and sin and yes to God. And we can't say yes to what God wants us to do, even in our natural abilities. We can accomplish a lot, but the supernatural ability to honor God and make a difference in this world happens when God takes everyday tasks and makes them God-honoring. He uses his spirit in the humble heart. These two craftsmen in Exodus chapter 31, they just had natural abilities, but they were yielded to God, and God was worshiped and honored, and beauty came, and order happened, and engineering, all because God's spirit was at work in a humble heart, and God's spirit wants to work in you that same way. So as followers of Christ, question, are you seeking to accomplish God's purposes or your purpose? I mean, is it your life, your money, your talents, your dreams, your plans, your career, your academics? Is it yours? Or did the God of the universe with the shed blood of Christ buy you back from sin and shame, put his spirit inside you to change you into a son or daughter that honors him in everything you do? In the big and the little and the things that no one notices and the things that are evident you know, it takes a lot of humility to look at your life and say, am I living for God or am I living for myself? Are you humble enough to ask that question about yourself at the beginning of 2021? God, is this life, career, these resources yours or are they mine? Are you humble enough to ask him that question? Maybe you found yourself frustrated in life and at work. Maybe it's because you're not working within your natural abilities. Maybe you're looking at everybody else and wondering, why can't I be like them? Or why can't I be like her? Why can't I have that job or that career, that opportunity? Instead of being fully you, in your skin, with your abilities and your natural... See, here's what God wants to do. He wants to take you in your natural abilities and bring you to the best version of you and not make you into someone else. He made you and he loves you and he likes the gifts that you have 
And he wonders, will you take the gifts I've given you and use them for my purposes and not yours? But you're busy looking at everybody else and wanting their life and their gifts and their lifestyle instead of saying, you made me this way, God. I want to be me and be fully me and humbly me. Maybe you're frustrated because you're seeking your own glory. You got your own plans. You're going to do it your own way. And somehow you invite God like, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. Now God bless it. Okay, God bless it. God, why aren't you blessing it? God, why aren't you making it the way I want it? Instead of going, no, no, no. This is your life, God. These are your talents, your resources. This is you. What do you want? Maybe you got to shut up sit down, be quiet, and actually ask God what he wants from you and your life and your abilities and your education and your relationships. And actually be humble enough to say, these are my dreams, not yours, God. I want yours. And if your dreams connect with my dreams, I'll pick your dreams. And if your dreams for me don't match mine, then I'll let mine go and I'll choose you. Maybe some of us in 2021 have to stop doing life with just God. God, I'll follow you. God, I'll listen to you. God, I'll do what you want me to do. But because just me and God, we still have a closed view of things. Maybe it's time for me to ask people I trust what they see in me and my gifts and my abilities because I'm frustrated because me and God have been doing, trying to get this done, but it's not working. Maybe it's time to be humble enough to ask people in your small group or someone you trust to say, what do you see in me? And what you might find is they hold up a mirror to you and they say, you are arrogant. You're a jerk. You're not musical at all. You can't teach nothing. Like maybe they're going to tell you you're a terrible craftsman, but you want to be a carpenter, but you should probably go do something else. If you're not willing to ask someone who's got the spirit of God inside them to give you advice and hold up a mirror to you, you're going to be frustrated. Maybe it's time to slow down, shut up, ask God and people you love, who you respect, what you should be doing with your life. And maybe you'll start to see that the Spirit of God starts to work and doors start to open and doors start to close because you're submitting yourself to God and to others, not just going by what I feel, I want, what my dreams are, my visions are. God, I surrender my life to you, because here's the deal. If God wanted to do it himself, he would, but he doesn't. He wants to give himself to you and give you his spirit to guide you, to lead you, to change you, to take the things that you do every day and bring honor and glory to him, to make you the son or daughter that looks like love and peace and joy and self-control to make you innovative and creative, to give you the perseverance to change one more diaper or to take care of one more student. His spirit can do that. Are you willing? Are you humble? Will you surrender and ask for his help? It's here. His spirit is in you. Let's go. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for loving us so much that you give us your word You give us your son to die. You give us your spirit to live inside us. You want to change us. 
into sons and daughters that make a difference in this world. We cannot do it on our own. In our own power, in our own abilities, we will fall short. Not enough religion and behavioral modification and aspirations will work, but your spirit is quick to convict us, help us to confess, to transform us and make us into sons and daughters that represent you well. God, help us to not see things as sacred and secular, spiritual and unspiritual, but instead to see everything we do as a part of your kingdom. God, empower the people that are here, that are listening to my voice, to bring about great things in the medical world, in the academic world, in the entertainment world. Help the people in this room to use their lives, whether it's in the army or as teachers, as landscapers or carpenters, to be innovative, to be hardworking, to put on display love and grace and truth every day in every arena so that people may see Jesus is alive not because we preach, but because we act like sons and daughters and bring about good things in this world with supernatural power that honors you. You wanna do this in us, we surrender to you. Help us, humble us. I pray this through Christ our Lord, amen.